0: as we continue in worship this morning in his word let's pray again together and ask for his help so we can hear his voice father thank you that we have so much to sing about when we think of you and our redemption we thank you for the table where we got to celebrate the gospel our redemption and now we pray lord that you would be filling us afresh and anew with your spirit as we hear your word Lord, would we hear it not as just the voice of a human being, but as your voice to us? Would you change our hearts as we listen to you? Lord, as we worship, we also want to lift up to you all those who have entrusted themselves to our prayers this week. Lord, you know the needs in the room. You know the needs in our church family and in our community. And we pray right now together, Lord, we heap those prayers up in our hearts to you for your help for your mercy, for your comfort, for your power. Be with those, especially right now, Lord, who are suffering or sick. Would you bring healing to them? Would you bring joy to sad hearts as we open your word? And would you be with those who need to work this morning? Lord, we pray that in their labor, they would sense your presence with us, with them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, happy new year, everyone. Happy New Year. Wait, Jeff, you're a little early, buddy. It's December 3rd, not January 1st, but I have your attention, don't I? Today is actually the new year. It's the new year for the church because today is the beginning of Advent, the four Sundays that lead into Christmas, the whole year. The church has a calendar that we follow a number of the dates and a number of the seasons, Advent being one of them, when the church is telling the story of Jesus from beginning to end over and over again, from his birth to his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven, his pouring out the Spirit upon us, and then us learning to walk in that Spirit. And last Sunday, actually, is called Christ the King Sunday, That's the Sunday where the church remembers that He is this glorious, exalted King who reigns over all. This morning, we start over again at the beginning for another year of hearing the gospel of Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection. We start with the Advent. Our word Advent comes from a Latin word, which many of our words do, which means arrival, appearing, or coming. It's a season in which we look backwards and we look forwards at the same time. There is this dynamic and interplay between what has happened and what is coming that happens throughout Advent. The first Christmas was the first Advent. That's what we look back, back at. The second Advent will be his return when he returns in power and glory. That's when he will return to set all things right once and for all. So Jesus' incarnation, the first advent, was at Christmas. That's when he came in weakness and in humility. And really, to most of the world, except for some angels and a few people, anonymously. Right? He didn't come with a lot of fanfare. That was the first advent. The second advent, he will return in glory and power and majesty, and it will be unmissable for all to see. Because that's when he will come to bring to consummation everything that began with the first advent. This morning we're going to explore together what it looks like and why it's so important that we hold intention both of those things. The first advent what he has done and the second advent what he will be doing. We're going to be looking at how our salvation has come now and it is a present reality that we get to experience, that we get to live out of in our everyday life and yet Salvation is not yet finished, is it? There's more to come. There's more that he will be doing yet. Salvation has come now, but the fullness has not yet come. It's now and not yet. And each Sunday leading up to Christmas this year, that's going to be one of the themes that we're going to focus on. The now of our salvation and the not yet. Some family friends of ours made this beautiful sign that is hanging In the main room of their home and it has two words on it anticipate Christ I love that phrase anticipate Christ it captures so well what Advent is about and what it is meant to be for us it captures so well that our everyday lives are meant to be impacted by that phrase anticipate Christ to expect to look for in our midst and to look forward to his power and his active reign in our life as he comes today and then as he comes once and for all in the future. Every day for us as followers of Jesus can be that. It can be a day of anticipating Christ, anticipating his love, anticipating his comfort, anticipating his healing real healing right now in our lives and anticipating his actual presence with us as we do the things that we do every day, just the normal things that we do as we live our lives. This morning, we're going to anticipate Christ together as we look at a prophecy, a prophecy of preparation from the book of Isaiah together. We're going to look at how Isaiah predicted and prepared the people of God for the first advent of Jesus and for the second advent of Jesus. And we'll see what they were anticipating he was going to come to do. And that will help us as we lean in to what would it look like today to anticipate Christ? What would it look like to anticipate the arrival of our kings? So if you have your Bible with you, if you can turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We do have Bibles in the backs of the room and in the corners if you'd like one. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 9 in a moment. This morning, as we read this prophecy... I want our focus to be on the deeper meaning, the below-the-surface meaning than what we would typically think of for this season, deeper than a sanitized version of a peaceful infant because they're not really peaceful. They're not quiet, are they? And a silent night. If you've had an infant, you know that they're not silent. I want us to see that Advent is more than those images. Advent is a commemoration of a divine invasion into this world to a collision of good and evil, where light pierces into darkness and where the world changes course forever. Advent was the time in which God made a decisive move to break into the world that He made in the most surprising ways, ways that we couldn't imagine. This is when His kingdom light began to come to earth. And at the same time, Things are not yet what they ought to be. We are not yet what we will be. That salvation has happened. It is now. He has come. But it is not yet in its fullness. Let's, let's read Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. We're going to read 2 to 7 together. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's amazing. It's beautiful and it's a hopeful passage for us. Here's a two sentence summary of what's going on in this passage. One, God's unfaithful people were suffering the consequences and the exile and isolation from God that was due to their rebellion, to their unfaithfulness to Him. And two, God's people would be redeemed and restored suddenly and unexpectedly by a king who would come to save them. This prophecy is all about Israel, right? We just read all about Israel, but it's about more than Israel. It's about each one of us, and it's about all of creation. It's about our rebellion against the one who made us, the one who made us to have living, ongoing communion with him, and our helplessness after that rebellion to make things right with him. It's about God's unbelievable kindness. It's about his zeal. He is the one who does this to redeem us, to restore us, to make us into sons and daughters of his, even though we were so unfaithful. We're not going to pick apart every single verse in this passage this morning, but I do want to look at a few key themes that we'll be drawing out throughout Advent together. The first really important Advent theme in this passage and throughout the Bible is the theme of darkness and light, and light piercing in to that darkness. It starts in verse 2 in this passage with God's people being in a state of gloom, deep darkness, when they suddenly see a great light. Suddenly their situation is changed. They were so gloomy and things were so dark because of their unfaithfulness to God. Their sin in turning from the one who had redeemed them, who had freed them from slavery and brought them into this land, was followed by judgment. God wasn't indifferent to their rebellion, and the judgment took the form of other nations, more powerful than them, who took them from their promised land to other places, where they found themselves trapped, where they found themselves in exile, where they found themselves powerless and helpless to overcome these mighty nations, all of this would have let them into a state of helplessness and a feeling of deep hopelessness. Will our situation ever change? Or is this just what we have now? How could they possibly overcome these nations who had taken them into exile? How could they find their way out of darkness without light? And where would light come from? Certainly not from themselves. That theme of this light piercing into the darkness and darkness not being able to overcome it is this central thing that happens throughout Advent as we anticipate Christ, this movement from darkness to light. And this movement from darkness to light is not just a mere feeling. Like when it says that they were in deep darkness, it's not talking about only the feelings that you would associate with being in deep darkness like despair or sadness. It would include those, but it was more than just feelings. Darkness, for them and for us, is a reality. An enslaving, isolating reality. Absolute darkness. That is where the world is and we all are, unless a child has come unto us born in a manger, absolute darkness. We take for granted that we have access to light in our everyday lives, don't we? Until until we suddenly don't have light. Just a few weeks ago, as we were getting ready in our house, our normal morning routine, the light suddenly went out. It was still dark. Thankfully, the coffee had finished brewing before that happened. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, it got really dark really quickly. We managed. I'm sure some of you, it was dark that morning as well, you might remember it. Before long, we found our headlamps, we had our lights on, we had some candles lit, and we were able to get ready. It was kind of dark, not completely dark. We maybe tripped over a dog bone here or a backpack there, but we made it. We were able to get ready for the day. We managed. Because even though we didn't have ideal lighting conditions that morning, we still had some light. But imagine complete darkness where there is no light at all anywhere, there's no relief from that darkness. It's all around us. How would you function? Take a moment and try to picture that. Existence in utter, complete darkness. As I did that this week, I felt it's actually kind of terrifying to think of that. It's Scary to think about how dangerous and impossible many of the things that we do every day would become. From the simple things, like taking the dog out, to the more complex things. Living in utter and complete darkness would make life almost unlivable in the way that we all know how to live right now. We are accustomed to light. Yet that is where we would be spiritually. That would be our reality if we were left on our own, utter and complete darkness. But there's more. There's more that we need to add to that metaphor of what darkness without God would look like. So not only do we need to think of being in complete darkness and unable to see anything, we need to think of being in complete darkness, unable to see anything, and thinking we can see Believing that we see just fine. Even though we're walking around holding on to the walls. That is what lostness is. That is what Isaiah is describing. He's not just talking about enemy nations who took them into captivity and exile. He's talking about utter and complete darkness without God's existence and thinking you can see just fine and the light is shining all around you. That is what it is to be without him. That is where we would be if he hadn't broken into the world to redeem us, completely unaware that the way we had grown accustomed to moving around and living in the world was totally abnormal because we just could not see and we didn't realize that this darkness was suffocating us was isolating us from each other and from him. That's why this divine invasion was so essential. That's why the Son of God took on flesh and entered the world the way he did. The hope, the good news that Isaiah holds out for us in this prophecy in the very next verse is that at just the right moment, when it seemed like all had been lost and that there was no hope, our Savior, King Broke in and changed things and made things possible that could never have been possible without him. Light has shined upon us. He is the light. And look at how Isaiah prophesied the people of God would respond to that light. Look at verse 3. He says, You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil the people's response to that entering in and light shining would be joy. And joy is another one of the key themes that we'll see throughout Advent. Joy, the definition that has helped me so much to grasp a little more of what joy is. is from an author, Dallas Willard. He says that joy is the pervasive sense of well-being. Joy is a pervasive sense of well-being. Isaiah describes it as the joy of having all that they were fearing finally dealt with. The joy of an abundant harvest when they had only been in lack and in hunger. The joy of a military victory and actually a spoil from it that would enhance their life when they had only been oppressed and pressed down and helpless before foreign armies and militaries. It's an unbelievable relief. Their situation would change at his initiative. And then look at verse 4 and 5. They give us an even more expansive view of what was going to come to pass as the result of this coming king. He would deal with all human oppression, his people would be free, all war would cease, there would be a peace. It talks about the military garments and the boots being burned in the fire because they would be useless. You had no need for them because when this was done, when this work was done, there would be no more war. His people would be free in peace to worship him and to serve him. There would be this true and lasting peace that would just increase and increase and increase. This is a picture of all of the external threats, all of the things out here that had been taking Israel and oppressing them dealt with all the things out there all the nations taken care of but not only the nations but evil forces evil systems that were the result of sin in people dealt with and not only human evil but demonic evil dealt with demonic evil the demons they seek to distort and destroy all that god made good The prophecy is that even that evil will be dealt with once and for all. But that's only the things that are out there. We know that the problems are not just out there. They are out there, and we need to remember that. But the problems that needed to be dealt with were also in here. They had external threats, but then they had this massive internal threat that this coming king would deal with and would take care of it's the threat we face as the people of God from the very beginning of creation God's people have faced this threat it's unfaithfulness to God unfaithfulness to the one who created us and redeemed us that is the internal threat that God would also deal with for Israel and he would deal with for us his people in Jesus unfaithfulness to God is what sin is that's sin, and sin leads to death, sin and death. Those two would be defeated by this coming king to rescue us. The light will vanquish the darkness wherever the darkness is found, out there and within the human heart, in all the places where we know it needs to be dealt with. That's what God does when he takes our hearts that are of stone, is what the Bible calls them, and makes them into hearts of flesh. We, get, we begin to be able to sense and to see what is not right. He forgives us in Christ, and he makes us into new creations in him with new hearts. Listen to how this is captured in the New Testament, this reality of living in the light with him. This is 1 John 1, 5-7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now that his light has shined upon us, we have the ability to walk in the light and what that means for us is all the ways that we have grown accustomed to living to coping with reality in the darkness we get to unlearn we get to find that we don't have use for them anymore because now we can see that's what happens as we follow jesus and he transforms us we grow to resemble him more and more and the primary thing the big picture of what's going to happen, the thing that we need to unlearn more than anything else is a life of living in independence from Him. Life where my daily existence is primarily about my desires and my will. That's independence from God. That's self-faithfulness and living for my kingdom, your kingdom. But what God invites us into is His light shines upon us is God faithfulness, depending on God and learning to live in his kingdom now. That is the good news that he has for us, and we get to reflect our king. And church, here is where this tension, this now and not yet tension is so important for us. The advent light of Christ is shining right now. I know that if I passed around a microphone we could hear over and over and over again in this room people who would say, yeah, Christ is alive right now and I experience him in my life. And this is how. He is alive right now. That Advent light is shining but it is not shining in its fullness the way it will someday when he returns in the second Advent. Keeping that tension before us that this reality has come but it is not yet in its fullness is crucial for us because that is where we actually live every day of our life. We live with, yeah, things are changing and they've changed, and things are still broken and painful. That Those two things are where we live. It's how we experience each other. It's what work is like. It can be very, very good and very, very frustrating all at the same time because we are living in the time between the Advents. And in Advent, we get to practice what that looks like for our everyday life. The time between the Advents is where we live every day. So that dynamic of things being very good and and not so good at the same time can be humorous at times. It can be absurd. It can be in the mundane things and the not so mundane things. For example, no sooner had you finished decorating your tree, maybe maybe your house, your family's looking at it with you, And someone says in critique, the little lights aren't twinkling, Clark, (laughs) right? Like someone notices that it's not quite right. It's not quite perfect. It's beautiful, but there's still some issues with it. That's kind of the funny way and the absurd way we experience that tension that things are good, but they're not really how they were meant to be yet. As I was preparing this sermon, my heart was stirred as I was thinking about that absolute darkness that i was in and the great lengths that god went to to redeem me to save me my heart was being filled with joy at him but then on cue i got a message from a friend in another state who's dealing with cancer he said tomorrow afternoon we'll be at mayo for the next round of surveillance scans then on friday morning i have another surgery scheduled to remove two small nodules in my left lung That surgery is contingent on the findings of tomorrow's scans. We're hoping there will be no big surprises, but we've learned we need to be prepared for anything. This is where we live our life. We are in the in-between place. We rejoice for Christ has saved us. He is renewing us and we're experiencing him. But at the same time, we lament we mourn, we don't dismiss evil, we take it seriously and we join people where they are in the midst of it. We have joy and we have sadness because we are in the in-between time, between the advents. We can fall into two different ditches here with this idea of now and not yet. Two different extremes. One ditch is where we overemphasize the now part, of our salvation and we forget about the not yet part when we do that in that ditch we can gloss over evil we can minimize the sin and suffering that that we go through or that people in our life go through we focus on the victory of christ we declare his current reign over sin and death and evil This ditch is closely aligned with the spirituality of optimism, that everything's just going to work out. It'll be okay. Everything is just going to work out. When we do that, when we don't look at the world for what it really is right now, when we make an assessment of it that is out of line with the reality that things are not yet what they were meant to be, we live as if we are already in the promised land, but the reality is we are still wandering in the wilderness learning what it looks like to depend upon God as we walk through the challenges of life. And I think if we overemphasize that now, I mean, the bummer about it is that a lot of that is really true. Christ is here now. We can live in his kingdom now. There is power now. We can experience him in our everyday life now. But if we forget that there's more yet to come, I think one of the big risks that we have beyond just minimizing evil Is that we become susceptible to evil ourselves because as we live life we aren't ready very clearly in the new testament the picture is that jesus's people were called to not be overcome by evil but to overcome evil with good so our expectation as we live in the world is that we will face evil it is not meant to be surprising or shocking or catch us off guard we just expect it not morbidly or pessimistically but we know As we live in this world where the first advent has happened and we're waiting for the second advent, things are going to be challenging and evil is still there. I believe if we overemphasize the now of our salvation, we will not be ready. We won't be anticipating what it looks like to overcome evil with good. So that's the first ditch. The second ditch would be if we minimize and we overlook the now of our salvation and we primarily are in the not yet, the what will come later in our mind. God is going to someday come and fix this mess. If we live primarily there without the now, I think we become gloomy, complaining people and emphasize a theology of pessimism. And what this often sounds like is when people talk like, right now is the worst it has ever been. Right now things are horrible. The world is falling apart as if evil hasn't existed from the very beginning. It has. When we are just waiting for what he will do someday and forgetting about what he has already done, I think our hearts become cold to the suffering we see around us. Just like that other ditch, we become susceptible to evil. I think this one, we become susceptible to evil too because we can lose hope that anything can ever get better. And when we lose hope that anything can change in our lives or the lives around us, we start to despair. And when we despair, we come up with counterfeit saviors who can fix the problems around us. We must elect this person with this agenda because then things will get better. That's what it sounds like when we forget about the now of our salvation and we're just waiting for something to happen someday. We forget that we can grow right now, that our spheres of influence can be full of light as we follow Jesus. Just like the other view, there's a lot of truth in that view. The world is broken. Human problems will never be solved by other human beings. That's just the truth. Human beings in absolute darkness cannot provide light for themselves. They need it from him. But the reality is, the first advent has come. Jesus has come. And so as followers, and followers of him, we now get to participate in his kingdom in this life right now, his power and his life. So we don't ignore evil. We realistically assess it in light of his coming. We assess that things can be different, but they will never be completely different because that requires him at the second advent to set all things right. The triune God will do that. How will he do all of this? That's the amazing thing to me. As we look at this passage in Isaiah, how will he change it? How does God choose to come to his people as a baby? As a baby. Not with fanfare, not with glory, not with power. He doesn't raise up an army He doesn't have an ad campaign, right? He comes in the most inconspicuous of ways. And I think part of the reason he does that is to show God's sovereignty over all that would challenge his sovereignty. God's power over all who would be supposed threats to what he is doing in the world. He can come in weakness and overcome all that needs to be overcome on our behalf. The good news is that That child's dominion, Christ the king's dominion, extends over sin. It extends over demonic evil. It extends over death. It extends over everything that has happened in God's creation to distort it or to destroy it. He will deal with it. And this is where anticipating comes in. This is where it is so important for us as his followers in our everyday lives to be actively anticipating that rain, both within us and all around us in our spheres. This anticipation is grounded not in an idea, not in a philosophy, but in a person. Look at verses 6 and 7. I want to just at the end here read those again because the description of this person is so amazing, so unexpected. I just want us to hear it again. Listen to how this king is described. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Then look at this last sentence. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this coming one, that we worship, that we worship this morning and that we anticipate as we move closer and closer to Christmas. He was someone that had really no description that could capture who he was because he was a human being who at the same time was divine. God had stooped and emptied himself to take on human flesh. He would overcome all that was wrong by emptying himself and by dying for us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's the power and energy and initiative of the God of angel armies. That is what we anticipate in our lives now, and that is what we anticipate in our lives in the future. Now we get to experience the present reality of living with him And in the future, we get to experience the consummation of all that he has begun right now. And at Advent, we get to savor that reality together. Our only response to this, our only response, it's not to try harder. It's not just to, you know what, I just need to try harder to follow him and to be faithful to him. That's not our response. Our response is to worship him and to love him and to anticipate his activity in our life. Let's pray for that together, church. Father, thank you that you have shined your light into this world. Lord, we want to be people who live with anticipation of Christ's real activity and action in our lives today, meeting us right where we are, Lord, mending our hearts, giving us strength, filling us with joy. And Lord, we want to be people who anticipate the consummation of all things when he comes back and finishes what he began. Lord, help us to face the things that are challenging, the evil that we still see in our own hearts and in the world with hope, with hope that he will finish what he began. Lord, do that in our midst. Do that in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.